There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Probably True. Please be aware that this podcast may contain strong language and adult themes. It would be boring without them. It's the 50th anniversary of the origin of Pride. But a lot of people don't seem to know what that means. So, join me on a journey through queer history, etc. <laughs> Normally, I'm more than happy to tweak my stories a bit, you know, make them more fun. And I've touched before on the tendency we all have to retell a story in a different way to make ourselves seem more like the hero, or at least to blame someone else. It's part of what makes us human, I think. For example... I was chatting to someone once who told me that her daughter had been to prison because she was arrested and they found a knife on her, which was a bit shocking, really. It's like, well, that seems really extreme. Until later on, when I learned from someone else that the reason her daughter was arrested was because she'd stabbed someone. And after that, it all kind of fell into place. The story wasn't untrue, but it wasn't all of the facts. It was just enough to kind of make her seem like a victim. The point is, the way we tell stories and the way they evolve to fit our kind of internal narrative is is a big part of what makes us human. If you had, say, a hundred people at a party, good luck there, I mean, my party's four or five people's plenty. But anyway, if you had that many people and it got a bit messy and out of control, each and every person that was at that party would have a different story about what happened. You know, based on what they saw, what they think they saw, stuff they didn't quite remember and stuff other people had told them and so on and so on and so on. And normally, that's fine. This week, however, I did my best to bring you the story as it happens, which turned out to be more difficult than usual because I wasn't there. I mean, there's actually a movie about these events, but it's only really famous for being inaccurate and racist and transphobic and really, really bad. So I'm ignoring it completely. I'll do my best to tell you the bits that we know to be true, or at least mostly or ish what i'm saying is i'll do my best not to make shit up i might repeat something someone else made up but that's not my fault (laughs) and the reason this is so difficult is because everyone who was around at the time has a story and claims they were there that night even if they weren't i mean i'd claim i was there too if i could but i hadn't been born yet and you know a different continent anyway it was a big messy night It was also a turning point in queer history, but we'll come to that in a minute. So first off, you need to know what things were like at the time. It's 1969, and the sodomy laws, as they were called, were in force. In the US, in the UK, everywhere around the world, it was pretty much frowned upon to be gay. You could be arrested for kissing your lover, even in your own home, or even just for showing too much affection. If you were seen to be overly affectionate to another man, you were breaking the law. This is 1969, remember, the same year we put a man on the moon, and the act of kissing your boyfriend could land you six months in prison, or a lot worse in certain places, certainly large parts of the US. 
But not only was it illegal to be gay, it was also illegal to be a drag queen. Just think about that for a moment. Not only will kissing a boy get you landed in prison, or a girl, but so would wearing drag. And drag, in this case, also included trans people dressing appropriately for the gender they identified as. So if you were LGBT and you tried in any way to express that, you were pretty much fucked. But, as is always the way, little groups of people got together and kind of found safe spaces for each other. One of these was the Stonewall Inn, which is in Manhattan in Greenwich Village. It was owned by the Mafia, so it got raided a lot by the police, both because it was owned by the Mafia and also because it was full of homos. You know, if you're a policeman and you're bored on a Friday night, get some of your mates together, go down there and arrest all the homos, just because you can if you've got nothing else to do. It wasn't a particularly nice bar, the Stonewall Inn, It was kind of scruffy and sleazy, and and the one thing that every piece of research agrees on is that they watered down their drinks. But still, it was a safe space for queers to go and drink and be around other people, and even a bad one's better than nothing, as many of my grinder shags will attest. So every now and then, the police would come in, shut the place down, confiscate all the booze, and arrest anyone who they thought was looking at them funny. It got to the point where they were raided so often that the management kept a hidden supply of booze behind the bar so that once the police had gone, they could just start up again. So, anyway. Saturday night in June 1969, about 1am, the party's going strong, about 200 people all just, you know, kicking back, drinking, dancing, doing their thing. It's really warm outside, so they're all a bit sweaty. And the police raid the place. Eight police officers appear, kill the music, put the lights on, and generally destroy the mood before lining everyone up and checking their IDs. Anyone who looked like they might be a woman was taken to a back room so a female officer could check if they were or not. And if it turned out you weren't a woman and you were in drag, or if you were a woman and you were wearing less than three pieces of female clothing, whatever that means, you'd be arrested, as would anyone who was there without their proper ID. Everyone else just got sent home. So, as you might imagine, this pissed a lot of people off. Especially because, you know, they had to get through the day of just general discrimination and shit in the streets, let alone the police charging in and dicking up one of the few safe spaces they had to have a drink and relax after work. Remember, this is the 60s as well, so there's a lot of racial tension and stress as well. Queer people of colour had it much worse. So all this stress and all this tension and all these things were all piling up and piling up, which might have had something to do with why Marsha P. Johnson, a black trans woman, snapped and threw her shot glass into the mirror behind the bar. As the glass was falling, she shouted, I got my civil rights. This became known as the shot glass heard around the world. And, you know, see what they did there. So far, so good. Except that Marsha said it wasn't her. And she didn't even get there until later in the evening. So this isn't really helping the whole what actually happened thing. We know someone threw a shot glass into the mirror, probably. It might have been her. She says it wasn't, but we don't know. So anyway. After this, people in the bar started to refuse to show their ID to the police, and they refused to go in the back to be checked to see if they were women. And those who did show their ID didn't go home as soon as they were allowed out of the bar. They just started to hang around in the street outside. And as they kind of gathered, more and more people joined them because they were watching the police raid this place. It was late at night in the summer. There was nothing on telly. You might as well. Maybe there was something in the air that night, Fernando, and people could feel that something was up. But anyway... By the time the police wagon arrived to take away those who were arrested or had failed to cooperate, there were a few hundred people standing outside the bar, just watching, probably shouting the odd thing, you know. 
One of the first people to be dragged out of the bar in handcuffs was Stormy Delavier, a butch lesbian who worked as a bouncer at the bar. And, you know, the police were putting the boot in and beating her with their batons and stuff. And while this was happening, she shouted to the watching crowd, what are you doing? Why don't you do something? At least she might have. Her story changed a lot over the years too. Sometimes she said it was her, sometimes she said it wasn't. We know there was a butch lesbian who was having the crap kicked out of them and it might have been her. But anyway, people started throwing things. Pennies, stones, anything they could get their hands on. There are stories about bricks being thrown or maybe shoes or maybe handbags. Again, it's all a bit vague. As the fights grew, the police inside the bar realised what was happening and barricaded themselves in. They knew they were trapped, so they just kind of like locked the doors and shoved the chairs up against them. Outside, the police were beaten and chased away by the mob. Remember, there was only about eight or nine of them, and there was two or three hundred people at this point outside. And the wagon was overturned in the street. The police called for backup, and the tactical response force, a sort of riot squad, turned up with armour and shields and marched on this crowd of partying queers. It wasn't even... A riot. They were just having a good time, bit boisterous and, you know, enjoying themselves. And they responded by forming kick lines, you know, linking arms and kicking their legs up in the air and singing, We are the Stonewall Girls. We wear our hair in curls. We don't wear underwear. We show our pubic hair or something like that. And there's no riot in history that's been accompanied by a song about pubes. And, you know, just think about that. The riot police show up, and rather than leg it or do as they were told, this bunch of tired, harassed queers just linked arms, high-kicked, and sang. To me, that is a beautiful image. It's also not the most tactically sound response, as it turns out, because this isn't Broadway. You can't just sing at the bad guys until they give in. So the tactical response force, who, remember, were in full riot gear, pretty much beat the shit out of them. The fighting went on until about 4am, at which point 13 people were arrested and everything inside the Stonewall Inn was smashed. Windows, mirrors, if there's any left, the payphone, the jukebox, everything. Either during fights with the police or by the police when they were trapped inside. And all through that following day, people, even tourists, came to look at the smashed up shell of the Stonewall Inn. Graffiti began to appear on the walls saying things like gay power and legalised gay bars and proud to be gay. And that night, the bar, or at least, you know, what was left of it, opened again. And this time, more people turned up, blocking the street. Well, they had this massive street party. And again, the police came and tried to shut it down. And again, the kick lines formed up, and they ended up being chased down the street by over a 100 policemen. I heard one version of this story that talked about how the police would chase them around the block. The thing about that is, of course, is that you might start off with one group of people chasing another in a circle. But if the ones being chased are a bigger group, sooner or later, as you're going round and round and round, everything goes a bit Benny Hill and it's not sure who's chasing who. And especially as if you're a policeman, even if you're in riot gear, if you're facing one way and there's a queen coming at you from the other side brandishing a heel, you're probably not going to come out of it very well. So the police and the fighters kept this to and fro up over the next few nights and as more and more people turned up to see if what they'd heard was true. The police retaliated by turning up in bigger and bigger numbers to control the crowd, but the big gay genie was out of the bottle at this point. And the gay rights movement, which had been gathering steam over the past few decades, like I said, got a huge boost from being featured in all the news and stuff. And remember, there's no internet or anything like that at the time. This is all word of mouth and newspapers and things like that. The following year, 1970, the LGBTQ community and the gay rights groups that had been boosted by these riots on Christopher Street held marches in New York, San Francisco and LA to commemorate what had happened. 
they marched quite quickly, by all accounts, since it was still illegal and there was a lot of work to do on the whole public opinion side of things. But they did it anyway, under banners reading Proud to be Gay and Gay Pride, which is where the name that they would use in future years came from. And by that time, there were gay rights organisations in lots of cities across the USA and Canada and Europe who all started holding these marches locally around the same time of year to commemorate the night that patrons of the Stonewall Inn decided enough was enough. It would be really reductionist to say that the rights that LGBTQ people have now only happened because of a fight at a bar in Manhattan, but it certainly had a huge impact. And it is one of the defining moments in queer history. And it's worth remembering that whatever you consider gay culture to be, however you personally identify, your freedoms aren't thanks to some handsome, white, gender-conforming man who threw a brick because he could see a better future for everyone or some other noble bollocks. These people weren't handsome, noble heroes, pure of spirit and deed. They were just people, like you and me. Well, more like you. Have you seen me? I'm amazing. Anyway, the rights that we have now are thanks, in large part, to a group of tired, harassed queer people, some of them people of colour, some of them transgender, who had had enough, who snapped and fought back against the grim misery of a world that insisted that there was no room for them. Queer people of all colours and gender expressions turned to face the people punishing them for being different from everyone else. They stuck together. And when one of them got knocked down, the others would pick her up, and they kept fighting. And as frustrating as it is, we will never know exactly what happened there that night. It was just a big, messy night full of messy people being people and having fun. You can't really call it a riot when it's so joyous. That's not how riots usually go. I've said before that we don't have pride parades, but pride marches. We are protesting because so many of our siblings aren't in a position to march with us. In the same way, it's not right to call what happened at Stonewall in 1969 a riot, because it wasn't. It was a revolution. Maybe it was Stormy who was the butch lesbian? Maybe not. Were there bricks thrown? Probably not. Stones? Maybe. Handbags? Seems unlikely. I don't know many queens willing to give up a handbag that easily, but we'll never know for sure. And Part of me hates that. I find it incredibly frustrating. But then... But then I remember the name of this podcast, and maybe it's okay. Because it was never just Stormy, or any one other person. It was everyone, together. All of them. Because that's what community is. That's what family is. And that's why when we look out for each other, and we put ourselves in harm's way to help others, and really fucking fight for it every single day, Love wins. That was Probably True, the repeatedly award-winning storytelling series created by me, Scott Flashheart, to remind all of my queer brothers and sisters that we are none of us alone. You can find transcripts of every episode, links and other things at probablytruepodcast.com. There's additional content and other lovely stuff available to subscribers at patreon.com forward slash probablytrue. And if you want to get in touch, just search Probably True Podcast on the socials. There's now a dedicated app for podcast people. It's called Flick Chat, and Probably True is on it, so you should join and be on it too. It's in your app store, just search Flick Chat, and join me and other fans of the series and talk about episodes, possible future topics, and plenty of weird shit, believe me. 
I've also given away free shit to my group members on there, so if that's your bag, sign up and search for Probably True, or click the link in the show notes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.